Hey Rick, would you like to coach more efficiently, be more athlete-centered, led by data, and get some awesome results? Oh, yes. All right, well then Coach Tools is the coaching platform for you. Coach Tools is a coaching platform with all the necessary coaching tools in one place, from planning sessions to caring about your people. It is an easy-to-use platform for coaches, head of coaches, managers, and directors with an athlete-centered approach. With efficient digital tools, you will save your time, improve the quality of your work, and enable you a way to succeed. Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell all the listeners all the benefits they'll get by signing up with Coach Tools? Well, first of all, you will be much more efficient with your practice planning because you can plan it within a couple of clicks. Then um, you can be proactive for your athlete overload with exertion follow-up. Um, what is also very, very beneficial, and that is actually my favorite part about Coach Tools, that you can build closer relationships and better trust with them and get and give feedback through an athlete-centered coaching approach. That's the hallmark of Coach Tools. Um, you understand much more better their moods, their expectations, their values and goals, because after every game, after every practice, they fill out the very, very simple questionnaire and communication is so, so easy. And you can set up cheats and you can set up all the goals and you can follow it up, you can follow it up very, very quick, easily. And then um, this is also very valuable benefit is you enhance the learning of your athletes. You can illustrate drills, content, uh, tactics with the drawing board and you can store it at all one place and you can access this all the time you can share it with your club you can share it with someone else with other coaches and then um, all the information are always available for athletes and the coaches just one click and it's very easy um, it's very easy designed on on top of this there are many many more valuable tools which you can explore when using coach tools yeah, so as Rick said, there's so much more that you can do with Coach Tools. And, and all of our listeners can get a 20% discount on their first year subscription. All you guys need to go is to go to www.coachtools.net. That's www.coachtools.net and click start free trial and just mention that we, we brought you there from the Coach of the podcast. All right. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. Today, we are joined by Dr. Lea Katrin Dome. And with her, we talk about the development of psychological skills and characteristics. And um, something I've really enjoyed about this episode is that at the beginning, Dr. Doma was clarifying um, those two terms, what actually psychological skills are and what psychological characteristics are. So I think that was a very, very useful thing uh, during the episode today. Yeah, and, and I, I really liked the episode today because we had a good mix of, you know, the, the theory, but then also how do we use it as coaches and and how do we, you know, advance our own resources as coaches and, and how much, and I really liked how she, she said, like how much we can actually put on ourselves as coaches and, and when it, when it's out of our role, you know, where can we go and, and get some, um, additional support and everything for our athletes and for ourselves. So, um, I think it was a, a really interesting episode and a really interesting person to talk to because, you know, he, she, she highlights her background and how it connects to what she does now and and she she drives or she brings out a lot of passion 
um, because she faced these same issues that she's helping athletes with now when she was an athlete. So that adds a lot of passion to uh, the episode, and she's very motivated about what she does. So it was really nice to hear from her and, and hear some of her ideas. Um, but let's not keep anybody here any longer in the intro, and let's kick it over to Dr. Dome. So now we would like to welcome on Dr. Lea Katrin Dome. Um, Dr. Lea, thanks, or Dr. Dome, thanks a lot for taking the time and joining us here today uh, on the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. Um, we are very excited to talk with you and that we, that we finally make it happen. Um, so first of all, how are you doing today and how is everything going in Cardiff for you? Thank you so much, Rick and Derek, for having me today. I'm very excited to be here. And yes, making it finally happen. We had some uh, issues to get here, but yeah, finally together. And I'm very excited to talk about my research. A little bit rainy today in Cardiff, as expected. You know, you, we have uh, quite a few rainy days in Wales. But to be fair, it's a stereotype. We also get loads of sun over here, okay? Um, so after a few very beautiful days and a lovely weekend, uh, a little downer today on a Monday. Um, but even better to have uh, a lovely podcast scheduled in to do on a rainy day. Yeah, well, I'd rather uh, wake up to rain than what I woke up to today, which was more snow. So um you know, no April fourth, still still going on with the snow. It's a, um, I love winter, but I'm kind of getting kind of getting ready for the warm weather already. Um, so anyway, we we brought you on to talk about this idea of psychological skills and, and characteristics. You have a, a big background in that area. Can you just share a little bit um, about yourself and kind of how you got into that area and um, you know kind of what you're working on now? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Derek. Um, and it's actually quite a personal story. And I think, um, well, I just make a start. So I started playing tennis myself at the age of three, both my parents, my mom and my dad are tennis players. And I'm from a, a pretty small, well, I'm from Hamlin, um, but we were based in Kleinberkel, which is only a 10 minute drive away, a pretty small village nearby. And it was like my second home. We would be having barbecues there. Our friends would all be there. We would play cards and play tennis and catch and all sorts of things there. There would be gardens around the corner that we would play hide and seek in. So it was like a little, it was a, a big playground for me, the, the tennis club as such. Um, so at the age of three, I really was super keen to get on court myself, but nobody at the time. So I'm now in my 30s, 33 this year. And back when I was three or 30 years ago, nobody wanted to coach me because I was that young. Um, but one of the coaches in the club, uh, I did a lot of bagging and persisting, uh, eventually decided that it was fine to, to give it a go. And to be honest, I probably collected more bugs and butterflies and snails to begin with than I was actually hitting balls. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was just developing my coordination, you know, throwing, catching, running a lot, skipping rope that kind of stuff so it, it was a really great and an easy start for me um but i i got pretty good pretty quick um, i was always one of the taller um children as well so that probably helped me out um but i um yeah got got quite good and because i'm from such a small place word kind of spread so um, I started playing competitions um, and eventually became part of more of a formal kind of training regime 
And it was super exciting. I would travel around Germany and eventually travel a little bit around um, like Europe more generally as well. We would uh, travel more summers, sometimes with my dad and my mom, sometimes with the people that I was training with. Uh, and I learned so much. I, I enjoyed it to the fullest. Um, I think some of my fondest memories are from my time playing and traveling with tennis for sure. But I started having or suffering from knee pain at a quite young age, probably around 14-ish. And my mom took me to tons of doctors. Uh, at the time, burnout was a new thing. So I was told that, you know, maybe potentially I have burnout and I should stop planning my life as much as I did. Um, you know, I was a dual career athlete. I was training most days. I was competing on the weekends. Of course, I need to plan so that academically I would also achieve. Um, I was told that I had a growth spurt and that's probably why I was experiencing some pain as well. One of my legs is shorter than the other. So that also played a big role, but nobody really took their time or listened to me until probably a year and a half, two years in. My mom was very persistent, dragging me from doctor to doctor and traveling further to do so. So eventually we figured that uh, my meniscus had torn and because it had been torn for so long, I had severe cartilage damage. So I had one surgery, tried to come back, um, a cyst developed, I had to have another surgery, tried to come back from that. And then I had another surgery to try and reestablish more cartilage again. Um, so three surgeries and, you know, you probably understand how much recovery time that is as well. But in addition from phys physically recovering from my injury, I was also mentally recovering from my injury. injury. So trying to come back from that, um, having gone down in ranking, suddenly losing against people I never used to lose against before, um, losing against younger individuals, uh, you know, it, all things that hadn't really happened to me before because I was quite successful uh, at the time. So I started getting quite uh, frustrated on court. I would be concerned about running for balls because I didn't want to re-injure myself. So I theoretically knew how to play tennis, but practically I just couldn't implement it quite as well anymore as I wanted to. And I didn't know how to cope with that. I didn't know how to control my emotions and it, it commonly ended in, in anger and tears and frustration. And my mom and dad were super supportive, um, but I think my dad is a little bit hot-headed himself. So, you know, he confronted me about misbehaving on court uh, quite bluntly, and that ended in arguments. My mom would try and wait until I calmed down, and we would just sit in silence on the way back from a tournament or training until I was ready to speak. But it was a bit awkward. Um, so even though they, they tried to support me, um, and outlined that perhaps the way I was behaving wasn't the right way of handling situations. Um, I wasn't really told how to handle those situations. Same from my coach. I would often be told, you know, stop crying, suck it up and get on with it. Um, but I didn't know how to do that. Um, so at the age of 18, once I finished my A-levels, I always dreamt about going to America and, and start a scholarship and study medicine. But after this happened, with a knee kind of thing, I didn't want to study medicine anymore because I didn't want to um, impact anyone's life the way I felt my life had been impacted. So I decided to just go traveling and figure out what I wanted to do if, if I couldn't play tennis to the degree that I wanted to. So after a bit of traveling, I decided that I maybe wanted to study sports psychology because I felt that there must be better ways of 
teaching children how to deal with what I had to deal with. I mean, what I had to deal with wasn't anything, you know, um, unusual or, um, you know, something that only happened to me. It's common. It's super like a meniscus tear. I mean, how common is that? Uh, we all, like, if you are an athlete, the likelihood of you getting injured at some point in your life is massive. Uh, traveling around, uh, being away from friends and family, having to balance school and sport responsibilities. Those are all challenges and demands that the majority of dual career athletes are experiencing. And what I was really then wondering was, how could we make it easier for these young individuals to cope with these demands and overcome those demands? And that's really what motivated me then to study sports psychology. I initially did that at Leeds Beckett University where I did my um, undergrad and master's in sports psychology, sport and exercise psychology. And then I did a PhD, I got a graduate teaching assistant position uh, at Leeds Beckett University where I was doing my PhD in teaching alongside on the sports coaching degree really really enjoy the teaching part as well being able to input or um, yeah put my um, learning into practice to a degree and um, after finishing my PhD which focused on the psychosocial development of young talented athletes uh, I then did a postgraduate fellowship at McGill University in Montreal Canada which I also really enjoyed um, with Dr. Gordon, uh, Professor Dr. Gordon Bloom, um, and also very much focused on coaching. So my research on the psychosocial development of young individuals very much focuses on how we can educate coaches and also parents on supporting the psychosocial development of young individuals to hopefully put them into better states to deal with the demands that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Well, thank you. I think that was a, a really... It, the, the story you tell really shows why you're motivated and, and passionate about your your job and, and your research and everything like that. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. And um, I want to start with you. You wrote a paper back and I think it was 2016 about the all the different terminology used in this in this context. So I, I wanted to start there because I think that would be a, a good place to open up the, the, the topic. So can you just share a little bit with us about, you know, the difference between psychological skills and psychological characteristics and kind of how you um, how you found all those terms and, and kind of settled in on those those two things there. Yeah, absolutely. So the to begin my PhD journey, uh, like most of us, I did a, a tons of reading and I was really forking through the talent development literature, the sports coaching literature, positive use development. Um, because I really wanted to understand, you know, what is psychosocial development and what are those things that we should be developing in young individuals so that they may be more or better prepared to cope with the everyday demands. But when I was reading through the literature, I noticed that the range of authors who are actually aiming to achieve the same thing would use a bunch of different terminology. We have mental toughness, resilience, um, psychological characteristics of developing excellence, the five C's, the four C's, um, psychological skills and characteristics, mental skills, uh, psychological skills training. So there were so many different terms out there and I really wanted to get to the bottom of what the similarities and differences between these terms were. So I worked my, I did, I did a systematic review on the talent development literature, looking just at that kind of terminology. I would go through the papers and look at what terms were being used, how they were defined, if they were defined, often they were not defined. And 
and what constituted those terms. And eventually I identified that perhaps it comes down to two things. Number one, it appears that authors outline that we seem to have psychological characteristics, which are things that are perhaps a little bit more stable within us, such as our ability to focus, our emotional control, uh, our level of self-confidence, our hard work ethic. But even though they are perhaps a little bit more stable, those characteristics can be developed over time and are influenced by the social environment in which we function in. And one way of helping us to move along, I, I, you can kind of imagine that those skill, those characteristics sit on a continuum from, let's take motivation as an example. You might have low levels of motivation on one side of the scale and really high levels of motivation on the other scale. And you can move on that scale, those characteristics on that scale. Those characteristics are not innate, they are not fixed, they can be developed. And psychological skills can help us to regulate um, our psychological characteristics and move along that continuum. So psychological skills are those methods, those techniques that we can use to perhaps, to perhaps impact on our psychological characteristics. And when I'm talking about psychological skills, meaning things such as self-talk, goal setting, relaxation, imagery. And when using those skills, so let's take emotional control as an example. It's probably one of my weaknesses, okay? But I can, when I'm noticing, when I become aware that my emotional level isn't at the optimal level for me to perform, I might be able to use my learned psychological skills, such as a relaxation technique, like let's take a, a breathing technique, to try and regulate my anxiety or my nerves and get myself to that level that I know I can perform well at. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, just, just to summarize before I ask my next question. So, because my next question is based on this. So for example, psychological characteristics are things like motivation, emotional control, self-confidence, and things like um, psychological skills are like goal setting, vis visualization, uh, relaxation techniques and all these other things yeah absolutely yeah okay good good, good. yeah I, I had a look at the paper but just to clarify it to 100 percent, because um i would like to move a little bit into the psychological characteristics and when we speak for example about motivation focus uh, self-confidence um when you for example coach you have, you have a normal session or in general, you have, you have been spending much more time now with your athletes and you want to realize basically, or you want to um, help them to work on specific characteristics. But how do you, first of all, uh, can identify which characteristics they are lacking? And secondly, how do you can uh, identify which, which ones they're already pretty good at? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good question. And it's also quite an individual approach that can be taken to that. So as I outlined, so in the second systematic review that I wrote about what sort of psychological skills and characteristics we should be developing, I identified 19 things, okay? So 11 characteristics and eight skills that we can use. Does that mean that every talented athlete needs to have all of those 19? 
no okay do we need to be really really good at all of those um 19 things no we don't okay we probably won't be able to but what we can try is we can try and fill the toolbox of our athletes with these skills um, but sometimes if they are not good at something, so like I said, emotional control is probably still one of my, my weaknesses, but it can be balanced out by other things that you are good at. So the idea really is that we try and expose athletes and fill their toolbox with as many of those skills and characteristics as we can so that they then have a range of skills and characteristics at hand that they can use when they feel that they need to or that they can rely on on a regular basis. In addition to that, I think it's really important for um, clubs or academies or um, training groups to identify what really matters to them, what sort of values they have and what they stand for. And I also believe that developing all 19 things is not very user friendly for example okay so so um i'm currently working at a tennis academy and i'm trying to embed chris harwood's five c's at the moment because i think the five c's um are incorporating a lot of those 19 things that i uh, i've identified in the literature but in a fun in a colorful in a user-friendly manner um that i can embed and use as a phase of of the academy. So as a as a tennis or as a as a tennis center, we've come together and we talked about what values matter to us. And our mission really for our tennis center is education for life through tennis. So anybody who comes into the center, aspiring talented athlete or just somebody who plays tennis for fun, we want them to learn something for life. Um, and we've identified that the five C's from Chris Howard are really something that helps us to communicate to the athletes, the parents and the coaches that we are working with, what we stand for. And that sport can be a great vehicle to develop those skills. So coming back to your, to your question, Rick, then, I think it would be about you and your colleagues um, to identify what really matters to you uh, and what sort of skills you deem most important for the population that you work with to then and try to facilitate them within your coaching. I mean, yeah, no, I think that's, um, especially again, like the, I really like the clarification between that they exist in total 19 skills. Yeah. But it's almost not well, it's not very useful to work all, all of them, all of them at the same time. Um, so it's it's really good that there's again, like because very often when you get confronted with the literature, it's it makes in the first time it makes the impression. Okay, I've read this. My athletes need to be capable of doing all of this at their best. But that's not that's not the case, and I think it's very important to clarify that even literature highlights some things that not all the athletes then or an athlete doesn't need to be excellent at all those psychological characteristics and um, uh, where, where where would like to uh, move on obviously developing the psychological characteristics or implementing psychological skill training takes a lot of time especially when we speak a lot about uh, relaxation techniques because um, it's it's a very very long process it's also from a neuro perspective a very long process until actually things happen um, but 
for example, if I have an athlete now coming to me and, and he says, hey, coach, I'm, I'm lacking of emotional control. Can we please? He knows he knows what it is and he says that I'm lacking of it. Can you please uh, work on it? And then I say, yeah, obviously, we, of course, we can work on it. Uh, but and I, I'm 100% sure that it takes a lot of time. Yeah, But for example, when you have when when the player comes to you and then you offer his help, uh, offer your help, um, how much time actually takes it until the player or the athlete really improved in this area and is really really, let's say, a professional at it or really really good at it. That it doesn't matter what happens. Let's say, for example, in a tennis match, um, that he is really able to control his emotions through all the sets he's, he or she needs to play. Yeah, I think um, something that you've outlined really well there is just like physical skills, psychological skills and characteristics need to be practiced and they get better over time. The more you practice, the better you get at them. But something I want to clarify as well is that um, youth sport coaches are not expected to be sports psychologists. Okay, so um, there's no expectation that a youth sport coach can run run targeted psychological skills training with their athletes. Okay, so um, I think it's important to clarify um, roles and expectations and consider what level of education uh, one receives and what level of independent learning you might do uh, alongside your, your formal education as well. So there's no expectation from parents or coaches to be qualified sports psychologists and engage in this uh, really targeted, long-lasting psychological skills training. I think that's definitely more of a job of, of a sports psychologist. So if there is a specific issue if you really see an athlete suffering, I think it's really important to refer them to um, somebody who's qualified to, to address those things. Um, but I think something that coaches can do is they can become aware of um, the importance of sport as a mechanism of the facility to use sport as a mechanism for the facilitation of not only physical skills, but also those psychological and social skills that we can use. And um, what I'm doing currently in, in the tennis academy and uh, with, badminton, with the Badminton World Federation is I've developed a uh, an educational program for coaches and parents that teaches them on a fundamental level about life skills okay so psychological skills and characteristics can become life skills if they're being transferred out into other contexts so your ability to control your emotions on a football pitch hockey pitch tennis court for example can become can, can come in really useful when experiencing nerves or anxiety before an exam in school for example and similar breathing techniques or relaxation techniques can be used that you may have learned within the sport context in that context to calm yourself okay so i think what is important here is that as a coach i don't think you would be expected to um you know invest month of your time to try and teach someone how to visualize properly um, or engage in relaxation techniques. But I think it's good to have a foundational understanding and, and language 
so that you have the ability to raise awareness over how people are feeling, what sort of feelings are benefiting them or hindering them from performing well, and to have a few things up your sleeve when it comes to trying to teach them things. So it's things such as being open and honest about how they're feeling and how that affects their performance. It's about um, trying to center yourself, maybe engaging in a performance routine to try and calm yourself down again. So I wouldn't expect a coach to uh, run a fully fledged out psychological skills training program with their athletes, but it would be good if they knew more about um, how we can perhaps use the sport context to teach skills for life, such as how to stay calm, how to center ourselves again, um, how to maybe become aware that we are using language in our head that doesn't benefit our performance. Um, but I also think that the education of coaches and parents within youth sport context is um, still a little bit of an issue when it comes to learning about how we can facilitate the development of those life skills within our coaching sessions. So I wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself to having to do those things. It's more about openly communicating about those things, checking in with your athletes, uh, getting to know them as people, um, asking open ended questions about, you know, how school is going, how they're feeling overall, um, what sort of the demands they're perhaps experiencing. Um, and then when it comes to helping them, Again, that is such an individualized process. You might give a few tips to somebody, they immediately click with it and you know it's sorted, but then you get somebody else who really doesn't resonate with what you are saying and it will take a few different ways and trial and error to try and identify what really works for this person and what context and why. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really important as well, but I think it's as like uh, another important thing for coaches to have is that re the resources and know where to go and get, you know, help for an athlete that may need to, you know, have that long-term training with a sports psychologist and, and have that kind of qualified resources available to a, a sports coach as well. And just um, having that information on where to go further and where to um, send athletes that might need some, some more help beyond kind of what you can, can offer them um, inside your role. And I want to ask, because in one of your papers as well, you were talking about this idea of the, the pre-intervention stage. And I think this goes, you know, whether or not you're, you're a sports psychologist or a sports coach and working with athletes in, in I think, any capacity. I just wanted to ask because that pre-intervention stage was all about the relationship building with the, the young athletes. So how important is the relationship when you're teaching something to a young person? And, uh, and how do you know when that relationship is, is ready for you to start intervening and, and helping that young athlete? Yeah, um, great question. Just to probably provide a little bit more context there. So you're referring to a study that I did while doing my PhD. I was embedded in a, in a tennis academy um, focused on the development of, of young tennis players. And um, there were a lot of boys playing there, okay, ranging in age from probably eight to 15. And um, yeah, it took me a little while to settle into that environment. The coach hadn't really had much experience of, you know, psychology or why that was important and probably also didn't buy into it for a little while until we had maybe more um, conversations about it. Um, 
and the athletes you know eight to 15 year old boys they were quite shy around me to begin with they would go bright red if I wanted to talk to them and uh, it was actually really handy that I was a tennis player myself so for the first month or two um I literally just I was just there on court helping to collect balls helping to feed balls um I would be a hitting partner for the athletes and because of the uh, level or my my playing ability um I could keep up with them which helped me to really form some relationships and initiate some conversations around you know how they're how they're doing how tennis is going why they were playing tennis how they got into it um and when did I then realize that that relationship was formed? I think I realized that after a couple of months of being there, they will come and court, make eye contact and greet me and say, hi, Leah, how are you doing? How was your week? Or good to see you again. They would start saying bye to me um, on court as well. They would thank me for um, supporting the sessions. Initially, they literally wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't look at me wouldn't sit on a bench with me um, but over time uh, that totally developed I would also hang about before and after sessions so if they arrived earlier they would eventually start chatting to me about what you know how school was going so how did I realize that that relationship was developed um, well an increase in communication with me um, they would approach me I would try to not be too forceful with the relationship so I would kind of just be there and be approachable and way to be approached rather than me constantly approaching them and then also it's feedback from parents saying oh you know um let's say maxi really enjoyed talking to you the other day you know he came back and told me about your conversation thanks for having a chat with him so getting that kind of feedback allowed me as well to identify that all right that the you know they're talking about me now in a, in a positive manner it's not just this new strange German girl is there. I don't really know what she's doing. Um, so we kind of went from there to, oh yeah, it was great. You know, I got an opportunity to hit with her today and it was really fun and I won a few points against her kind of thing. So yeah, hearing that helped me to understand that a relationship was there. And I think my main purpose there really was to um, do research. And I really enjoy engaging in action research because I liked that when engaging in actual research, the participants that you are working with have a benefit from your research as well. And you're working collaboratively and together um, to kind of problem solve and identify, you know, what are we already doing well? Where can we improve and how can we work together to do that? So I really enjoy that collaborative approach. Um, but I think that, you know, when trying to work with people on a psychological level, it's really important to get to know them as people, identify what drives them, what motivates them, what worries them. And for that to happen, you just need to invest a little bit of time to get to know someone. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of us have, have done it in a, in a friendship kind of sense. You know, when you start university and you first getting to know new people, it takes a little while, but the more proximity you have, the more time you spend together, the more you commonly get to know each other. Yeah, and I, I think that's really important because I, I think a, a lot of the times as coaches, we're, off, we're often, you know, um, I, I don't know if forced is the right word, but kind of um, we have to make those relationships on, on day one kind of thing and start that process right away. But I think it's also important to, to note that it's not something to rush. It's not something to force that relationship yeah. to build. It's something to just kind of 
um, just kind of be there and be curious about the individual. And, and then um, as they start to open up more, you can start to realize that they're, they're ready for, you know, more uh, feedback, more advice and things like that. But Derek, just um, yeah. to just to just to interrupt you there, I think it can be a huge challenge for coaches. Yeah. Um, so one of my um, current students, she's just done some research on um, the effect, like how we can foster effective relationships between parents and coaches. Mm. And I think um, one thing that coaches often perceive as their role is that they constantly need to keep kids busy on court or on the on the pitch. So they need to be playing the sport and they are quite concerned about parents seeing them chatting to their children rather than doing something yeah um uh, you know physical in a way um so on the one hand i'm wondering if our perception of what a coach's role is and isn't is perhaps a little bit schooled in a way um i mean teachers for example are they being paid to hold parent evenings to have conversation with parents they are um you know and I think coaches should be expected to have conversations with their athletes to get to know them as people. And they should also be expected to have conversation with parents to feedback about how it's going and to also learn about the athletes. You know, is something going on at the moment. I feel Maxi is a little bit off. He doesn't seem to focus so well. Is there anything going on at home that I might need to be aware of? Um, so I think having these conversations is, is extremely important, yet often coaches feel under huge amounts of time pressure and performance pressure that they are avoiding these conversations because they don't want to be seen chatting on, on you know, during training time. So I'm wondering if on a, on a structural or cultural level, our perception of the coaching profession needs to change a little bit to fit in all the things that a coach perhaps should be doing. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, I feel that pressure sometimes as well. And I think it's a little bit easier in team sports because if you have like a, um, a setup going on where half the group is going and half the group is resting, you can talk to the resting players, but then you need the right amount of coaches. And if you have to run the game the entire time, then there's almost no connection with the, the other athletes. So um, I, I, I can feel that challenge a lot and I, I connect to that quite a bit so um i think that that's that's very like that's something that does need to to kind of shift in a way to something that's more open to those conversations and more open to connecting i wanted to i wanted to go through a couple of practical examples so my my season now is about to to wrap up and i'm i'm just kind of curious if, if you can give me some maybe some advice and some pointers and um and kind of how me as a coach can handle this because we just we just talked about how you know coaches shouldn't be expected to be sports psychologists and um but i, I want to challenge a little bit there because you know for the most part when athletes are young you know they're not well first of all they may not have con access to a sports psychologist but then secondly mm -hmm. the majority of the time when you see that an athlete might need to go and see a sports psychologist about some skills training or something like that uh, that first in incident or first um kind of reaction maybe is during a game or during a practice or something like that where um you know specifically there's some frustration boiling up and stuff like that so um i just wanted to to get your advice my first one is i just this last weekend had some playoff games and one of my players was very frustrated when we went down uh, we got scored on so it was four to three and um he yelled uh, some very bad words at the referee and 
got ejected from the game. And, um, you know, it, I, I have seen this type of frustration from this player before, never to this extent and never to this level. Um, so what is a coach expected to do in that situation? What is a coach um, or like what can I do in that kind of situation to, to um, kind of respond in a positive way and, and help the athlete maybe learn from that, that incident and things like that? Yeah, good question. Um, I think, so I strongly believe in um, positive youth development, positive reinforcement. So like, like you said that Derek, uh, you, you put it quite nicely, you said, I, I want to react in a, in a positive way. I don't necessarily want to tell them off or punish them for it. Instead, I want it to be a positive learning experience. How can I make that happen? So I think um, one of the first things that we can do in these situations is to raise awareness about what happened and to show empathy with regards to what feelings they might have experienced. So in your conversations with the athletes uh, or with the athlete, you might say, look, I would like to talk to you about this, this incident. I can see, you know, it was a very heated situation. Uh, emotions were flowing high. Can you just give me some insight into the situation from your perspective, how you were feeling at that moment and, and what happened that kind of brought you to that boiling point. So I think listening to the athlete, showing empathy and understanding that it's really hard to control our emotions in those situations, especially if we haven't learned how to do so. So I think the first step is to show empathy, um, kind of raise awareness that, you know, what happened, it wasn't, wasn't so good. So, you know, Hey, let's talk about this and reflect on this together. Again, reflection is a very complex skill that young individuals can struggle with. So helping our athletes to reflect on these situations is really important. So talking through these situations and identifying, okay, so the way you reacted, did that help your performance? Did that influence the team at all? Um, you know, in, in, in which ways did it affect the team? And do you think that, you know, there would have maybe also been other ways uh, that you could have reacted in a situation? Let's talk through them and maybe identify how those ways would have impacted the game, you and your performance, as well as your teammates. You might get them to in, uh, imagine or think back to a time where something similar happened, but they handled the situation a different way and it led to a positive outcome. So I think speaking through those scenarios and really helping your athlete to reflect on them, to raise awareness around actually, yeah, that wasn't good. And that didn't affect my performance in a positive way. And neither did it my teammates. Okay, I realize that now. Um, before then trying to offer some solutions with regards to, okay, so we've now identified together that, you know, what happened perhaps didn't affect our performance as positively as you may have hoped. So what can we do moving forwards? You know, what could we do differently next time? Uh, and, and how can we help you to be able to put that behavior into practice? I mean, you know, when working at the tennis academy during my PhD, something the coach often struggled with, he felt that what he was saying was empty. He would stand on the sideline and go, you know, calm it, calm it, but he wouldn't actually explain to his athletes how to do that. Um, so I think one thing is to identify, okay, so in that situation, I probably should have stayed calmer, but then also helping the athletes to identify 
how that outcome can be achieved. So what could you do to try and stay calmer? Could you take a deep breath? Could you um, maybe have a wristband, which is your sign of, okay, you know, I pull that wristband and this is my trigger to go, actually, let's just reset. Could you engage in a certain performance routine that just buys you a little bit of time? Could you redo your laces to reset? Um, so yeah, so I think my approach would be um, listening to the athlete, showing empathy about the emotions that were experienced, reflecting on the experience and its outcomes, uh, and perhaps reflecting on other situations and outcomes that were a little bit more positive, um, before then trying to identify what outcome stage should be achieved instead that would help to facilitate a positive outcome and then identifying what can be done on a behavioral level to achieve that outcome. Did I answer your yes. question, Derek? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it gave me some good ideas for some of my other um, instances. And I think like, because for me, I've been coaching now, this is the end of my sixth season. And I think I've, I've reacted in every type of way, um, mm -hmm. to be honest. And, and I, I've never really, um, or like recently, I've been well, overall, much more positive as a person. So I've been trying to act, you know, much more positively when these things happen. Um, but, you know, early on in my career, I just reacted as my coaches had reacted when it happened to me or my teammates. So, um, you know, I, I've kind of seen it a little bit both sides. And, um, you know, I, I don't like to like talk myself up too much. But like this season, I'm, I'm the one of the things I'm most proud of is like how much more it seems i know that this just happened like two days ago so it's not maybe the best example but my, my athletes seem to be much more in control of their frustration than at the beginning of the season more some than more some more than others and everything like that but um i've seen kind of the power of that positive reaction this year especially um so yeah it did answer my question Thank what you. do you mean by a positive reaction so how do you feel you were able to achieve that yeah um well First of all, like I, like when I was a younger coach, um, like I said, I, I would just always react. Well, not always, but I would mostly react poorly and, um, you know, not necessarily yelling or anything like that, but just, just not supportive, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. And this year, I've really tried to practice a lot more empathy um, and yeah. realize why the athletes are getting frustrated and, um, and try to get to the, the reason behind it with them rather than just focusing on, you know, hey, don't feel that way um, mm. and, and kind of supporting them and, and helping kind of um, helping them understand why they feel that way and, and how they can kind of um, combat that. I don't know if combat that's the right word, but kind of help kind of settle those emotions maybe is a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've helped um, shown a couple breathing techniques to a couple athletes and um, one athlete I've really tried to help with like their, their positive self-talk and things like that. Um, so just, I would say like this season, I really just started focusing more on the empathy part before really trying to, to change behaviors or anything like that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, but Rick had, a, had the next question. <laughs> yeah. I have, um, I've actually one more question. I think the previous answer you gave us also like, especially because you said helping them to engage in the reflection. And I think with that, there's also you help them to figure out some kind of action plan, which is very, very important what actually to do. 
And um, because I have one more question, that's why I have my phone open because I still look at some of the articles you have sent to us. One of your papers, the name is Psychological Skills and Characteristics Facilitate of Youth Athletes Development a Systematic Review. And without going too much into the paper, um, because we will attach all these papers in our show notes, if it's hopefully okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but when do you actually help athletes to engage consciously in psychological characteristic or psychological skill training? When, 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 when do you help them to start? Because I'm asking this question because um, as with everything, if you probably, because you, for example, if you take a hockey game and if you go to a 10-year hockey game, You see 100% of something does not work. Some of the players, they will smash their stick on the ice. But is that really because, <laughs> because of the game or is it because of something they are mentally frustrated? And is it, is it already some, some kind of a mental game? Mm -hmm. A lot of question in one there, Rick, but I, okay. I, think, I think I know what you mean. So um, I think it's important that we try and develop these things as early as possible. And I think, to be honest, as coaches, you do this all the time. Okay. And I think it starts a lot with conversations. So, um, for example, at the moment in our tennis center, we're working on, on commitment. And um, we uh, our first step is to identify with our athletes, you know, what is commitment? What does that mean? What does a committed tennis player look like? What does a non-committed tennis player look like? What sort of behaviors would a committed player uh, engage in? And then reinforce that skill as we go along. So um, throughout training, for example, you might take a, a, a break and you go, right, okay, so everybody get together thinking about our conversation earlier today about what a committed tennis player looks like where about on the commitment scale are we right now one being low 10 being high oh you know what i i didn't actually run for every ball today um and um i also wasn't so bothered about collecting balls i think my commitment level is is about a six at the moment okay so what can we do to maybe dial that up a little bit now so what can we do to fire ourselves up and and be even more committed? Can we maybe think of a, a committed player that we all idolize? What sort of behaviors does that player show us? And um, once you've established that with players, you might even get them to focus on each other, not just themselves, but also others and, and help them to maybe praise each other when showing committed behavior. So you might set challenges such as, you know, keep an eye out for those commitment behaviors that we discussed earlier today. And if you see Derek doing a behavior, you know, make sure you let him know that he did that really well. And even if he, he doesn't, you know, doesn't execute or it doesn't help to achieve the outcome, tell him that, you know, well done for trying to be a committed player. So, you know, I think there isn't necessarily a start and a stop point. Derek as well, coming back to um, your point earlier, I think it's about, um, coming coming back to those conversations and just checking in again and seeing you know remember we worked on those breathing techniques how is that going at the moment are you still making use of that have you made use of that in any other context of your life for example you know have you ever had a, a challenging conversation with a friend and then you were able to use that skill then and there so obviously those conversations increase in complexity the older the athlete gets and The older the athlete gets, the more open in the questions you might use so that the athletes probably get to outcomes or answers themselves. 
Um, and when working with younger athletes, you might have to direct those questions a bit more, maybe close them a bit more, maybe provide answers and suggestions yourself. But I think these conversations can be held from a young age onwards. And I think we should just make an effort to try and have these conversations and talk openly about it to also establish that shared language that we can have to talk about emotions. So another example from my PhD research was that when leaving the environment, the club environment felt that they had a shared language that they could now use to talk about um, emotions and how to regulate them. So rather than saying, you know, stay calm, stay calm, the coach would now say things such as, hey, I can see you got really frustrated there. Why don't you use the performance routine um, to calm yourself back down again next time? Um, and I could see the athletes starting to use that language themselves as well, even the eight-year-olds. Um, so I think it's about providing words and providing a shared language that can be used to talk about emotions, how to show empathy, how to provide support, um, to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that's a great tool for, for young athletes is that, um, you know, finding that role model that they can look at and say like, hey, this is what a committed tennis player looks like. This is what a, um, oh my gosh, any other example of a tennis player looks like. And and having them look at their, their idols and the people that they, they look up to anyway and, and helping them identify those behaviors from a from an early age and talk about those behaviors early on because I think that's it's like it's almost it's it's not a second language but it's always like the same thing it's like it's early it's easier to learn a second language if you start younger so mm -hmm. like it's always I think it's kind of the same principle here where it's easier to start learning to talk about these things and talk about your you know emotions and things like that the earlier you start and the more um, commonality between you know coaches to coaches and things like that I wanted to uh, shift a little bit to kind of the parental side, um, because mm -hmm. you've done some research on how parents can support these developments, the development of psychological skills and characteristics and youth athletes. So uh, can you just talk briefly on on that and, and how parents can help? And then also maybe a little bit um, how coaches can work together with parents uh, to kind of help that development. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, probably common sense in a way, but we also know from literature that two of the most important people within an athlete, so youth athletes development are coaches and parents. And the majority of parents who involve their children in sports activities, they mean really well. Um, they're exposing children to sporting activities because they want to help them to develop holistically, physically, mentally, socially, um, engage with others of their age, other leaders, develop uh, physical literacy as well as psychological literacy and I think a lot of parents appreciate that sports can be a, a great mechanism for the facilitation or development of skills such as independence self-confidence and so forth and they understand that sports can be used uh, in a way to facilitate and trigger those those things but they can also identify that at times their children experience frustrations on court and they see their children suffering and they are desperate to help and support. Um, 
So often parents have conversations about things that they have observed. They might try and provide some tips. But often when I speak to parents, they feel a little bit lost or ill-educated with regards to, well, what actually can I do to help and support my child to cope with those instances and demands a little bit more effectively or in a positive manner? I don't want them to suffer from their sport involvement. I want it to be a positive experience. Um, so something that I've noticed is that uh, some parents self-educate, they access books that are readily available and in bookshops such as Bounds, for example, uh, or uh, Gross Mindset from Carol Drax. So a lot of parents actually show interest and want to learn more about how to be um, a positive role model and to be positively involved in their children's sporting experience. Um, but sometimes that also can go a little bit wrong because of, again, the kind of way we phrase things, um, the kind of questions that we ask. Um, so, for example, um, one of the parents in the academy, she, she uh, noticed that her, her boy was lying about who he had beaten. And she approached me. She's like, you know what? I've, I've caught my, my son lying about who he's beaten today. And I was like, all right, you know, have you, I, you know, talked to him about it? And she said, yeah, I asked him, you know, why he was lying about it. And he said, well, mom, you love me much more if I win, don't you? And she said, gosh, no, you know, you could, you could win or lose anything. I love you no matter what, what makes you think that? And he says, well, every time I come off court, you ask me if I've won today. So clearly that must matter to you. And her eight-year-old boy was saying that to her. And she says, no, I just wanted to know if you had a good time. But that's not what she was asking about. She was asking, did you win today? Meaning, did you have a good time? But, you know, children are often quite literal. Yeah. Um, so it's really important, I guess, to identify what sort of messages that we, we send, what sort of, uh, what sort of um, skills and outcome we place emphasis on. And I think it's important for parents to perhaps discuss with their children, similar to coaches, what sort of skills they feel that they can be good at in sports other than necessarily physical skills. We all develop on, you know, in different ways at different times. And just because one 10 year old is at a higher ability level as another 10 year old doesn't mean that in five, six years time, they might be of a similar standard. Um, so I think it's really important to help parents understand that it's just, not just those physical outcomes that matter, but we can also have conversations about um, having made friends, having communicated with somebody new, having learned about something, providing them with feelings of competence other than physical competence, helping them to uh, learn how to make decisions and become independent learners and helping them to form meaningful relationships with the people that they interact so when engaging parents in my life skills program, I often help them to understand what sort of learning experiences there are within a sport context other than winning or competing against others. And I help them to identify um, what sort of things we can place attention on or focus on other than perhaps that competitive element. Um, even when going to competitions, even when going to competitions, you might ask your son or daughter to um, try and meet somebody new or compliment the uh, tournament official on, you know, the way they've organized the, the, the matches or observing others, others matches and um, identifying what was going on there and reflecting on some of the experiences that were being observed. 
so yeah so i think it's um helping parents to really understand um what sort of positive learning experiences we can find within the sport context and then i think the second part of your question focused on the relationship between parents and coaches yeah and like how because you know i think for the most part and, and this goes for you know psychological skills and for um you know just for example on ice stuff for hockey and um like the the parental uh, information that, that they receive um how can uh coaches and, and parents kind of work together with that for their the the sake of their athletes and make sure that they're all on like the same page kind of thing yeah i think what is really important to um realize is that you guys are allies the better you work together the easier it can be for you and you can actually make use of each other um, but like you said, Derek, it's important to identify or to be on the same page in a way. So something that I recommend our coaches do is to be quite open and honest about their coaching philosophy. What matters to you as a coach? What are you trying to achieve other than developing those children physically? And how are you going to do that? And then having conversations about um, with parents about, you know, what are the goals that you are trying to achieve with your child? Have you had conversations with your child about it? Are we on the same page there? Because I feel they're only here for fun, whereas you are telling me that competition plays a huge role. So I think it's having conversations with parents and coaches about the involvement of the child as well. Um, and having that open channel of communication where you identify as well, perhaps that, you know, something that we've been really working hard on this year is this, this teamwork for example um or how to control your emotion and and i work with your child on you know reflecting on some of the experiences and their outcomes we've talked about breathing techniques i'm wondering if that's maybe something that you can reinforce in in the day-to-day -day kind of living or how do you do that so having these conversations setting expectations um i think is is quite important yeah and then i I just want to, we always ask a final question, but before we get to that, I, I want to mm -hmm. ask kind of a similar question, but not really. So, um, and I don't know if this puts you on the spot, but you mentioned earlier a resource that you've developed for, for coaches to kind of learn more about this. And um, I'm wondering like what, what other resources and, and um, what other things would you suggest coaches to look for and look at to, to kind of help them get into maybe a, a comfortable, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but just know more about this information and know more about how they can play their role in the development of psychological skills and characteristics. Yeah. Yeah, Derek, I, I get what you're saying because it's really hard like on the internet to distinguish between um, good and bad resources, valid resources. Um, I think um, Sergio Laia-Bessial and his crew, they're already doing a really good job with iCoach Kids and um, they've developed a range of different videos that help mentor coaches. They're all for free. They're, you know, he, he um, has developed this project through a big Erasmus grant. So it's all freely accessible. Uh, a range of experts have inputted into it and developed those video resources as well as a website on which you can find articles summarized abstracts um, infographics so yeah i coach kids is a really good one and then camilla knight from swans university um, she's doing a lot of research focused on uh, positive parental involvement in youth sport so um i think it's called um, sport parents eu um 
which is a really nice summary of um it's like she's got a a, a whole um base of q q a sessions so you know um how what sort of it's not just psychological it's also what nutrition should my child take so a lot of questions that sport parents ask themselves on a day-to-day basis are being addressed on her website so from a coaching perspective i think uh, i coach kids is really good and from a parent perspective um and let me just double check what it's called um sport parent eu i'm pretty sure sport parents eu night let me just get that for you yeah yeah that's exactly it sport parent eu that's the website um and that has loads of advice loads of resources summarized um for coaches and it's all evidence informed as well based on Camilla's research um so those those would probably be my two go-to's uh, to start off with yeah actually Derek and I we are very lucky that we had the possibility to speak with Gary Hodgson from iCoach Kids and with uh, Dr Sergio Bercial, I hope I said the name correctly. <laughs> Was it Lara Bercial? La, yeah, La, sorry, La, yeah, Lara Bercial. Um, we were very blessed that we had both with both of them conversations, in the, especially the conversation with um, Lara Bercial was extremely good about the Driven Benevolence paper. So um, very, 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 very good topic, and it was it's, it's very, very useful to read for coaches, definitely. Mm-hmm. But coming coming back to this conversation, as Derek has already spoiled, we have one final question at the end of every episode. Um, it's it's very simple. Um, but what is your final message regarding the conversation we had today to our listeners? Okay, I think my final message to listeners which are probably going to be coaches and and parents who are wondering um you know how they can do their best or how they can do better i think one thing is you're probably already doing a lot of things right okay and you're already um doing a lot of things in a in a meaningful way so kudos to all of you for that but also kudos to you for wanting to learn more and better yourself so i think it's about um reading and trying to seek out evidence-based resources that can help you to become the best sports coach or sport parent that you can be. But often it comes down to empathy, patience and support. Um, so I think listening to children is my, my key tip here, identifying what their needs and interests are that drives their um, behaviors and trying to cater to those needs and not mistaking their needs for our needs, I think is something really important. So getting to know individuals on a personal level um, to be able to address them in a way, in an individualized way that suits them, I think is, is my, my key message. All right. Well, I think that's a, a great place to wrap up the conversation. So Dr. Dome, thank you very much for joining the Coaches Road podcast today and um, all the best with your, your current research and your current work um, trying to implement the, the five C's. So um, yeah, thank you. It was, a, it was a lot of fun and I think we learned a lot. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me today. time to Dr. Dolma for joining the show today and talking a little bit about the development of psychological skills and characteristics in our young athletes. And, you know, it was a really interesting episode with, uh, I think, a lot of different things that we can take away and add into our coaching and 
um, it, it was a it was an episode that gave me a lot of ideas um, in terms of just what how to do this better as a coach and how to better support my athletes and developing these skills and characteristics and I want to start with kind of the, the first idea that I got from this episode is it is really like how why why it's so important for youth sport organizations to connect with professionals from other environments and especially when it comes to providing support for their young athletes and and you know just having the ability to um you know call up a sports psychologist as a club like hey um, i have an athlete that i think would really benefit from working with you um, can you, you know, can, can we set up a time for you guys to meet? Um, and just having that resource available so that when it becomes, you know, when it, when it needs to be something more than what you can provide as a coach, you have that ability through your organization or through your team that you can reach out to someone that, that you know, can help them specifically with, with developing these skills and characteristics. And, you know, I, I don't think it just, it just goes with this. It could be like, you know, you could have, um, full club trainings where they the sports psychologist can come in and run trainings on you know imagery or goal setting or or things like that and uh, you know you can expand it further like have um, resources for like nutrition and um, physiotherapy and things like that so like I think it's it, it really gave me a lot of ideas on how you can further serve your athletes by connecting your club or your team to, to outside individuals can, that can offer support in other ways. Yeah, and on, to, on, and, of, and on top of this, as you have been mentioning already in the introduction, I um, really liked how Dr. Dorma was clarifying at the beginning uh, what actually psychological characteristics are and what, are, what is psychological skill training. Uh, because when you read the literature the first time, it can be a little bit confusing. So it was good that she was definitely clarifying and um, giving us gave us a good idea about what it actually is and in terms of something that i've been taking away from this episode is that um, she mentioned that during the episode there have been 11 characteristics identified and nine skills so let's say in total 19 items and um, that we need to be conscious about or that exist in total but um we as coaches probably, and then especially our athletes, they don't need to be excellent at every characteristic or excellent at every skill. Um, so I think also that relates to actually when an athlete has a problem with or not a problem or wants to work on one specific psychological characteristics, uh, really helping the athlete to only work for this on this characteristic until it's really, really improving um, and not working on several things at the same time at the mental side, because it's uh, same as same as physical skills, um, same as everything else, same as normal practice. Um, you don't just improve your physical skill by just doing it one time. It takes a lot of training, it takes a lot of time and uh, i think that's a very very important point that because of these mental skills you very often get caught up all oh, this 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 so you need to be capable of executing all of those skills but um it's pretty much very similar that you should concentrate 
to one specific skill and work at it once at a time. Yeah, and and you can kind of balance your your weaknesses if you're weaker in some of these characteristics or skills. You can balance those with others, and and yeah, I, I think it, it's really important to view those just as any other skill that they they take time to develop, and they're not just going to be, you know, like one lecture and the kids are great at it, you know, and it's it's something that's deeper. It's something that they need to practice and they need experience with before they can really. Um, master that skill and master that characteristic so i think it's it's really um it's a really important piece to remember and, and I, I like the way that, they, that you phrase it that you don't need to be perfect at all of them you just need to uh have a have the ability to widen your toolbox and and widen your athlete's toolbox to where you're you're offering them as many um you know skills and characteristics that you can and and helping them grow and, and as many as they can and everything like that and um, I, I was, uh, really interested when she said, like, she was talking about the relationship she built with the, um, with the tennis players at her club when she was doing her research. And I, I think it, it was really interesting how, how she described when the relationship was, was ready for her to intervene more. And, and I know I mentioned it in the episode that, you know, as coaches, we're often, um, forced to create quick relationships with our players right away to, to get on their level and um, and kind of you know build that trust as, as quickly as possible but I think we also need to realize that you know it doesn't always happen quickly and and that's what um, you know the challenge of I think um, this just one season with a group because it, 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 it can take longer than that to build relationships with some players so my point here is that I, I think the, the way that she described the, the patience that it took and, and how she didn't really force the relationships on the player. She didn't, um, you know, she did not kind of force her way in with them. She just was there. She was around. She was helping. She was, um, you know, interacting when she could and, and waiting for the players to really come to her. And, and then she started to realize the signs, the, the more greetings, you know, thank you and bye-bye and, um, you know, um, kind of uh, in her paper, she said making little jokes, little jokes at her expense, like in a in a healthy way. And um, you know, I think all of these signs, they they they're really interesting because they can really show the trust that you've built with your athlete and the relationship that you build with your athletes. And um, I'm gonna you know like start start trying to realize when I step into new teams and everything like that that you know. I don't necessarily need to force myself into a quick relationship with these players. I have, you know, I can give myself more time to build that relationship and, and just be there, interact, help them and, and really just let that, um, let that relationship sh or let, let them see that I'm around, that I'm there for them and, and kind of help them, um, in any way and, and let that relationship build up that way and hopefully see those signs that, that Dr. Dolma was seeing as well. Yeah, I think as you said as well, it was a really, really good example about the uh, that the relationship, building relationship with your athletes is a process and that uh, it certainly doesn't just happen so quickly. And I have one other point I found really, really useful uh, because she was talking about like identifying certain skills and then actually applying them. So for example let's let's say you help with an athlete like someone has anxiety and you help or when when he's on the ice uh he has 
anxiety in certain situations and you help the athlete to teach him or her specific breathing techniques. Um, then it's interesting to see if the athlete, for example, if he has anxiety before exams, if he is applying this breathing techniques as well to exams. So again, I think um, transferring specific skills from one thing to the other. Um, and we have been hearing that several times uh, in terms of skill development and also here in general about practice and now here also about psychological skills. It's a, it's a very, very common common thing uh, and appears, appears very often. And I think it's, it's very, very useful to be conscious about that. That transfer of learning is really, really essential tool. Yeah, and I, I think what's important there is that, you know, we often talk about sports as a, as a vehicle for life, you know, and, and teaching life skills and, and things like that. And um, I, I, But I think it's important to note that, you know, it doesn't necessarily just happen. And, and we can really focus on um, and give our players support and resources to develop their life skills or psychological skills and characteristics. And um, I, I think I think that's a really important note is, is you know, yeah, sports are, are great for teaching life skills, but we can enhance that by, you know, helping our athletes, giving them resources, giving them people that can help them, you know, further and, and professionally. And I, I think that's, a, that's something that's key as well. And I really liked she was saying that, you know, it, it's um, when you asked her, like, when, when to start with this process, it, it, coaches already do it pretty early on. So I think it, it is really, uh, really important to note that it, it kind of happens, but we can, we can further enhance that. And, and I, I think that um, one of the most important things is that she mentioned with that section of the conversation was the, the need for establishing kind of a shared uh, language for, for speaking about emotions and, and having the players recognize what we're talking about. And, and early on starting to talk about, you know, how emotions play a role in the sport and, and, you know, performance routines and things like that to really, to really make it comfortable as the players get older, what we're talking about. And, and it's not, and it's never something new kind of thing. It's always, it's always been there. It's always been part of the process, what we're talking about. So I think that's a, a really important thing to note here at the end as well for myself. And um, I think that's a, a pretty good place to wrap it up for today's conversation. So thank you one more time to Dr. Dom, Domitz for joining the episode and talking a little bit about developing psychological skills and characteristics. Um, and we um, will see everybody next week with another episode of the Coaches Road Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.